Welcome to Coaching Matters, the monthly cycle training podcast to help you get the most from your cycle training. My name's Neil Simon and I welcome Paul Winkley, an ABCC Level 3 cycling coach and owner of Merlin Cycle Coaching. Today's subject is winter training. Now the nights are drawing in, how do you view this, Paul? Ah, winter training, always a thorny subject. Now, most people's cycling season finishes at the end of September, beginning of October. And if you've had a busy racing season, I'd always recommend having a couple of weeks unstructured on the bike or even a couple of weeks bike free. It's time to think about goals for next year and do any testing with either your coach or you can self-test yourself. But that requires focus, though there's nothing like a person like me with a clipboard and a stopwatch standing over you to motivate and squeeze out that last what. Actually, only joking is always done on a computer screen these days, but I usually give a little vocal encouragement to my riders. Now, we have a Watt Bike Pro here at Merlin, and although there are more complicated and expensive out there we find this the most cost-effective way to test our athletes I'm not just talking about a maximum ramp test or threshold test but if you have a power measuring device it's a good exercise to set some metrics from the end of your season form so you have something to base next year's training on I've an excellent turbo trainer session which we give all our riders free to test themselves regularly so that's the start of October When do you start training riders for next year's events? I generally like to start my riders back second or third week of October, depending on how the calendar looks. This is so that you can generally fit in two six-week training cycles and use Christmas and New Year as an adaptation rest week. This is because the Christmas period is always a bit hit and miss, depending on the particular individual's motivation. Mind you, I've caught riders out on Christmas Day putting in 50 miles, but that's another story. A typical structured week would look something like this. Monday is usually a rest day. Tuesday evening we do turbo intervals. Wednesday in the off-season might be rest. Then I start to introduce cross-training, a run, gym or swim, just to build a little bit of core strength. Thursday, a road ride. A commute is absolutely ideal for this. Friday is a slightly lighter training load. Then an hour or two on Saturday with a long endurance-based club or group ride Sunday. 40 to 60 miles is perfect for this. This would obviously be tailored to the rider's individual zones and time to train limit. Now, there are always exceptions to this. We might have some riders who compete in the hill climb season or do a full season cyclocross. And of course, their program would look entirely different. Okay, Paul, Christmas is over. Decorations are away for another year and we're into the new year. What then? Okay, time to up the ante a bit, depending on whether there are any early season goals and, of course, the type of events being ridden. For example, somebody specialising in short time trials would have a different programme to a road racer. A person that likes to ride sportives would have a bit more endurance training. And it's here that a good coach can be extremely beneficial. Okay, that's a sort of politician's answer, but let's look at a specific example. We call the six weeks after Christmas pre-season, just to give it a name. It's a six-week block used specifically not only to increase workload slightly, but introduce some intensity into the training before the next 12-week block, 
we call early season. I dispense with cross training on Wednesdays and go completely to on the bike training unless the client is training for something like triathlon. Monday is still a rest day but maybe a light turbo spin. Tuesday will be turbo sessions again. We'll start to introduce some sweet spot sessions. These from experience give the most bang for your buck and I find work for most people. Wednesday is a lighter day, either road or turbo trainer based. Thursday, I like to introduce some speed to the session, either on the road with short sprints or ideally turbo with, say, a sprint pyramid, which actually is a sort of hit session, high intensity interval training. Short bursts at high power, which we progress week by week, first adding more intervals, then reducing recovery. This is very effective if time crunched. Friday's an easier day again, and then Saturday, more time if possible on the road. I find it best to ride a circuit. I'm lucky to have a perfect one locally. That's about five miles round with two small shallow climbs for intervals and on relatively quiet country lanes. Sunday, I'm still inclined to favour the club or group ride. Three to four hours of the T-stop is really good conditioning and most important, enjoyable socially if you're training the rest of the week solo. What about the British climate and the inevitable bad weather? I'd never encourage anybody to go out when it's icy. I've seen too many crashes and had some myself. Rain is okay. After all, you are waterproof. But high winds and rain is a no-no. Snow can be fun because it's soft. Uh, on a mountain bike, especially with ice spiker tyres, about as much fun as you can possibly have on a bike. The thing about snow is it's predictable, unlike black ice. Dark evenings are okay. I'd encourage people to go out on a known route where you know all the lumps and bumps. Ensure you have decent lights. These days, LED lights have been a real game changer and most fronts are brighter than car headlights. I'd recommend you have two backlights, one still, one flashing, as a precaution if one fails. And also some reflective items. Anklets are very effective as they're constantly on the move. Dress accordingly. Some people suffer cold hands or feet. You don't have to spend a fortune. Good gloves and some neoprene overshoes. Have a look to see what other people have on your group rides or ask. Don't just rely on magazine recommendations or fancy brands, which usually have a fancy price tag. For example, my best winter gloves for many, many years were knitted thermo gloves from Quality Seconds inside an old oversized pair of fingerless trap mitts. Cheap, toasty and a couple of quid. Headgear. Obviously a helmet but something inside it. A cotton cap with a peak for wet weather to keep the rain out of your eyes and something that covers up the tops of your ears for cold weather. If you have a separate winter bike and even if you don't, a good set of mud guards for your own comfort and consideration of other people you ride with. No excuses these days. The clever designs fit everything. Your bike will require more maintenance in bad weather, so clean and have a good look at things like splits in tyres after rides. The thing a lot of people ignore is the chain, believe it or not. Buy a wear measuring tool. Cheap enough to buy, but if you change your chain before the one millimetre wear mark, it will save you having to replace the rear cassette as well. Which if you have Shimano Durace, Campag Record or Shram Red, can be eye-wateringly expensive. Oh, that sounds like good advice. What about an indoor trainer? Ah, yes. 
the ubiquitous turbo trainer, a thing of great joy and sometimes torture. Many and various are available from simple resistant models right up to all singing, all dancing so-called smart trainers. At the top end of the market are the standalone trainers which look very much like sophisticated exercise bikes. There are many models available but because of their excellent customer service I like Wattbike. Either the trainer or pro Wattbike second generation which we have at Merlin but they also do the Atom, which works well with online training programs such as Wift. These have been a revelation as you can now not only compete against other cyclists online from any part of the world, but also choose a training course such as London, but without the traffic <laughs> or even outdoers. Smart trainers will also adjust the resistance automatically when you go uphill on the program. If buying a turbo trainer and you can afford it, I'd suggest you go for a direct drive model from people like Cyclops, Tax and Wahoo are all excellent. But if money is tight, just an ordinary turbo that runs on the rear wheel off your road bike. You can train really effectively with just heart rate and something that registers pedaling cadence. A device that records your performance can also be helpful. I'm talking about such items as Garmin GPS, but there are many other makes now on the market. You can upload the program to places like Garmin Connect or Golden Cheetah to analyze your session and map your progress. If at a later date, you want to turn your dumb trainer into a smart trainer, you can do this very simply by adding a power measuring device such as a stages power crank and an ant plus dongle to your computer that picks up the signal from it. There's plenty of instructions online how to do this. To explain fully would be a podcast in itself. If this sounds expensive, search one of the online auction sites. Remember, one person's obsession with having the very latest gadget can often be your bargain. Well, Paul, I think that's more than enough to get us started. Where can we find you if anyone has any questions or would like to find out more about what Merlin Cycle Coaching has to offer? Thanks, Neil. You can find me on the internet, of course, at MerlinCycleCoaching.com. Email is coach at MerlinCycleCoaching.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MerlinCoach1, where I announce all the blogs I write regularly. Thanks, Paul. And thanks for listening. Join us in November when we'll be telling you everything you need to know about turbo training. Until then, keep cycling. <laughs>